Now it is. Is that better? Awesome. I'm really, really good at technology, guys. Um, so let me retry that. For those of you who maybe didn't hear, what is your opinion of the saddest plague of all? I'm seeing some tens. Addie can't answer because she knows the answers. Cheater. Ten. I see ten. I see ten. Isn't it ten, 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 ten? Oh, I see a nine. I see a nine. Oh, seven. I see a nine. Okay. I see a, a nine. Okay. All right. So those are all good answers. Those are all good answers. I will tell you my opinion. And for the sake of this illustration, you're going to agree with me. Okay? So I believe that the saddest plague, not the worst, the worst plague is definitely 10. It's the worst. By far, the worst. Okay? So I'm going to have, I kind of tricked you because I didn't really define saddest. Is saddest even a word? I don't know. Most sad. Okay? But to me, the saddest plague of all is plague seven, the plague of hail uh, and the plague of, of fire. And let me explain why, okay? Um, but before I do, we've got one more interactive part. So I'm going to need this microphone kicked back on for just a second, okay? We're going to get even more interactive. All right, so I'm going to take this microphone. I'm going to pick on the youth because they handle it better. All right. All right, Cash. Will you bring up the next slide for me? This, this might be, I don't know. Go ahead and stand up. This is Cash. What is that? Uh, it's a hail ball. Okay. Okay, that's pretty good. That's good. Good job. Sit down. All right, bring up the next one. All right, Ian, what do you, what do you think this place is? Hell. Oh, that's nailed it. Nailed it. That's pretty good. All right, next, bring up the next slide. One more time for me. The next slide. Daniel, help me out. What, what is that? Hail. All right, thank you. Good, good, good. All right. Let's see what Charlie thinks he's getting out of this down here. All right, where, next slide. Where's this place again? Hell. Okay. Now, thank you. You guys made my point perfectly. Okay. I have been told that these are not homophones, okay? Um, I've been told, and I've gone through science of reading training now that I'm a big, important principal, okay? And so apparently this is hail, and the other one is hail. But we live in Arkansas, so it's hail and hail, right? It's hailing outside, or you have an Aunt Helen. Okay, or there's hell, or it's all the same. It's all the same. I don't care what the proper English people say. Daniel's going to be so mad at me. Um, proper's out the window. Y'all do that when you saw me step up here. Proper's out the window. Okay, so when I read about this plague of hell, it instantly clicked with me that this is very, very comparable to hell. Right? Because when I read it, I read it the same. So um, I know that there's a difference, but in the English language, there's not, no matter what they tell you. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 13. We're going to cover several verses this morning in Exodus 9, and then we'll flip over to Ezekiel uh, chapter 3. So 
Exodus 9. I'll give you a chance to turn there. Genesis, Exodus. It's pretty easy to find. Second book. Okay. Exodus chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 13. Okay. I'll give you a few more seconds. It's good. I love hearing the pages ruffle. All right. Here we go. Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 13. This is what the Word of God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause every or I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and in every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for the opportunity to come and bring your word. God, I pray you'll hide me behind your cross, that your truth will be put on display this morning. God, I pray that you will prick our hearts. God, I pray that you will shatter our hearts for the lost and for the hurting and for the broken and for the saved who are struggling. And God, I pray that we will become not just church members or good old Baptists, God, but I pray that we will become proclaimers of the gospel to those around us. God, give us a heart to do the work you've given us to do. We love you, and we thank you for your blessings and for your mercy and grace so that we don't have to face the plague of hail. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's why I think that the plague of hail is the saddest of all the plagues. It is the only plague of the ten plagues where the people as a whole had a choice of what was going to happen. All the rest of them, Moses told uh, Pharaoh, look, if you don't let my people go, then these plagues, this plague is going to fall on your people. And Pharaoh said, I'm not letting them go. And then the plague fell on all the people, right? Every other of the nine plagues, that's how it happened. But this plague was different. Moses 
told Pharaoh, look, tomorrow, if you, uh, if you don't let my people go, tomorrow God is going to send hail and fire down onto the earth, and it's going to kill everything in the fields. Now, we don't have a lot of, a lot of backstory about how this all happens, but the Bible is very clear that some servants took that, heard that, and said, whoa, there's some truth. I don't think Pharaoh said, hey, if y'all believe this, go do it. I don't think that's what happened. I think there were people in there who heard Moses say, tomorrow God's going to send hail, and everything that's left in the field is going to be destroyed. Your servants, okay? Remember, sometimes they used their own children to be their servants, to be their, their herdsmen or their shepherds, right? So anyone in the field, all your livestock that's in the field, anything that's left in the field tomorrow, if you don't let them go, is going to die. And some of those servants said, I know Pharaoh, he ain't letting them jokers go. So they went back to their house and said, hey, listen, you need to get a hold of all the servants in the field, send them out, send folks out, say, hey, y'all need to come into the barns. Y'all need to come into the house. Y'all need to come in out of the weather because it's fixing to get nasty. Right? Some of the servants believed that God was going to do what God said he was going to do, what Moses said God was going to do, right? And so they brought their servants and their livestock into safety. Some of the servants, according to the Bible, some of the servants said, man, that ain't going to happen. It ain't going to be that bad. It's whatever. And they left their servants in the field. To me, that's what made this the most sad because all of the individuals had a choice of what they could do. Every other plague was decided by one man, Pharaoh. Yet lots of Egyptians lost their life on the plague seven because lots of folks didn't do what they should have done. Right? We don't know how many. We don't know how many sent people out into the fields. We don't know how many people didn't. But we know that some servants of Pharaoh heeded the message and they saved their, their, their servants and their livestock. And some servants heard the message, they did nothing with it, and their servants and their livestock died in the fields. Here's the truth. The story is very much the same with the plague of hell, H-E-L-L. We all come to church. We know the end. We know that in the end... Every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to spend eternity in one of two places. Either in heaven, the place of perfection with Jesus Christ, or in hell, a place of torment created for Satan and his demons. And I know that this is not, man, when I was a kid, this was being put out every single week. And I know that, that in a lot of times, I thank I think God for Daniel. He's not afraid to proclaim truth. But in some churches this morning, they don't use words like hail. And they don't use words like blood. And they don't use, they, oh, let's, let's prettify Christianity. I'm thankful that we don't do that here. But I'm going to tell you this morning that we still do that here sometimes. And we still do that here sometimes. But the reality is that every person you know, the people you love, the people you don't like, they all face an eternity somewhere, and I don't care how much you dislike them, you don't want them to go to hell. Hell is coming just like hail was coming in that day. Now the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to be? Are we going to be the servants to hear and get out there and say, whoa, 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 listen, coming out the field. And listen, I, I have no doubt because of humankind, 
there were some of those sermons you said, I don't know if the hail is going to come or not. I don't know if it's going to happen the way Moses said or not. But I know this, I ain't taking no chances because I love the people in the field. Some of them said, I don't even care about the people in the field. I'm bring my livestock in because that's where I make my money. But whatever their motivation was, they may not have known exactly how that was going to work, but they knew this, I'm not going to chance it. I'm not going to chance it. So some of you, maybe you don't know what someone else believes, but God's laid that person on your heart. Are you going to sit back and say, eh, maybe it comes, maybe it don't. Maybe they'll get saved. Maybe someone else will tell them. Or are we going to get off our, our spiritual hind ends and get out there and tell them ourselves? I can tell y'all are enthralled by this, but, but this, to me, this is where the rubber meets the road. You can come to church every week. You can put your money in the offering plate. You can, you can even read your Bible at night. But if we're not reaching other folks for Jesus, do we really believe a single thing that we say we believe? Because being a Christian isn't about being a better person. It's not. It's not about fire insurance, so I don't have to go to hell. Being a Christian is about impacting the world for Jesus Christ impacting your neighbors for Jesus Christ. I love, you know, when Lisa was, was talking about this, it's not just for our people. It's an outreach. Bring them in. Maybe they'll come in and decorate an ornament, but they won't come and listen to a sermon. That's okay because they're listening to a sermon as they decorate that ornament. They're, they're listening to the sermon of your lives and of your ministries. and of the, uh, uh, They're going to hear about God, and they're going to hear about Jesus. So what does it mean to us? Well, it means that we must call out to the lost. This is unpopular, but I believe it's backed up with Scripture. If we're not telling others about Jesus, I have a hard time believing that we know Jesus. It's just, that's uncomfortable truth. But there's no way that I can believe that my friends and my family and my loved ones are destined for either heaven or hell and not tell them that they can go to heaven. There, there's just no way I believe that if I'm not willing to tell them. I, I deep down, so, so uh, Miss Aaron, these are not on uh, the PowerPoint because honestly, this is one of those things that woke me up in the middle of the night last night. I began doing some research and I didn't have time to add them to the slides. Let me read you some statistics. In 2016, LifeWay did a study of 2,000 unchurched Americans. Okay, sometimes we read these statistics and we're like, oh, that's not us. That's not us. That's counting all the people in the world. There's a lot of people out there who have never heard of Jesus. So these statistics don't. These are unchurched Americans. Okay? So let's look at some of these stats that absolutely blew my mind. Uh they start out by saying the unchurched say that they are open to having religious conversations. So half of unchurched Americans say they would freely discuss if anyone wanted to talk about Jesus. An additional 31%, so we're talking about roughly 80% here, would listen with or without active participation. The other 31% said, I would listen, but I might not participate. But if somebody wanted to tell me about Jesus, I would listen to them. Okay? So 81% would listen to that conversation. About 50% would actively participate, and about 30 would not. Um, 
Now, they did say this. This is a hurtful one. Of that 80-ish percent, they say they would be more willing to listen to Christians talk about their faith if they saw Christians living it out in public. Mm. All right, let's move on. Close to two-thirds of unchurched Americans, so roughly 66%, say that they have multiple Christian friends that they interact with regularly. So 66% of unchurched Americans say they have more than one Christian friend that they interact with on a regular basis. Um, Okay. But... Four in ten unchurched Americans say they've never had a Christian explain what it means to be a Christian. So 66% say they have Christian friends, multiple Christian friends, but 40% of them say they've never had a Christian tell them what it means to be a Christian. Three in ten unchurched Americans say a Christian has has never, oh sorry, 29% say a Christian has ever shared one-on-one how to become a Christian. So 30% say that they've had somebody. So that means 70% have never had. Even though they have multiple Christian friends, 70% of unchurched Americans say they've never had a friend tell them how to become a Christian. 33% said they've had people say the benefits of joining a local church or the benefits of following Jesus, but never how to become a Christian. And again, why is that? Uncomfortable truth. Because it's easier to say, oh man, you would love church. It's a lot easier to say than, man, you would love Jesus. Let me tell you how to make Jesus your personal Lord. So these are unchurched Americans, and the vast majority say, I'm around Christians every single day, and no one's ever told me how to become a Christian. I would listen. Um, Another stat that just because some of you think, uh, some of you think, well, my friends get tired of hearing me. <laughs> your friends don't get tired of hearing you talk about Jesus. Even your unchurched friends. Here's what it says 80%, roughly 80% of unchurched say they don't mind their Christian friends talking about their faith. So, roughly 80% of people don't mind hearing about your faith. And they've already said that if they saw you living it out daily, they would be more interested in following it with you, right? Only. Uh, only 23% of these unchurched Americans say that their friends talk too much about Jesus. Only, listen, let's change that. Let's, that's, I like making sermons practical. How can we make it practical? Get on your friends' nerves talking about Jesus. Because only 23% and only 5% say that they feel strongly that they talk too much about Jesus. So, so of that 29% or 23%, most of them are like, eh, it's kind of annoying. Only 5% go, oh, they drive me nuts talking about Jesus. Let's change those numbers. Man, what if your friends came and be like, hey, Dusty, listen, would you quit talking about telling people about Jesus because my friends are driving me crazy trying to lead me to Jesus. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Listen, do we want to be... The church with, with, the, with, the, with the beautiful stained glass or, or with the fancy new doors or with the best sound system and, 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 and the, the best pastor, is that what we want to be? Or do we want to be the church that's out there winning people to Jesus Christ? We're getting on people's nerves because we won't let them just live their lives and go to hell. 
Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I think that'd be cool. So we have those stats. We see, we know there's a plague coming. Let's look what else we can do. Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to come back at the end of, <laughs> excuse me, uh, the end of Ezekiel 3 and hit this point even more. But verse 11, Ezekiel 3 verse 11 is one that just I need. And I think some of you need because this might be why we're intimidated to share the gospel with our friends. So we're going to read verse 11 and then we're going to go 17 through 19. But let's focus in on 11 for just a second. Ezekiel 3 verse 11. I told you earlier, you know, Genesis, Exodus, that was easy. Ezekiel, you're on your own. Use the table of contents. Okay? If you find limitations, you're close. Okay? All right. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. All right? So let's stop there. Let's take a, a short break. Stop there. Because this is where we get, we get kind of twisted up. Well, they're not going to listen. I've told them before. They just keep on doing what they're doing. Man, I love the Word of God because it covers it all. It says, listen, go tell them. If they listen, they listen. If they refuse, they refuse. But go tell them anyway. Amen? Okay, I told you I was going to be interactive. Now it's y'all's time to give me a little interactive back. Okay, make me bring the microphone out there. All right. Verses 17 through 19 says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman. Church, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel, for your unchurched friends. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from, the, from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die. For his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked ways, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So here it's clear in Ezekiel, it says, look guys, I've made you the watchman. You're the ones who know the truth. Take it out and proclaim it. And he goes on and puts some, some more to it. He says, look, if you tell the lost to be saved, and they still choose to not be, then yes, they will still die in their iniquity. They will still face that awful plague of hell. But, but, you've delivered your life. You've delivered your own soul. You can know. You can know that I've done all that I can do, that I laid in the road and I made them crawl over my body on their way to hell. I did everything I could do. But here's what he also says. Here's the sad truth for most American Christians. If that wicked one dies in his iniquity and you did not proclaim truth, then he still dies in his iniquity and he faces that awful plague of hell. But his blood I will require at your hand. Church, do you understand the gravity of that statement? Do you understand the responsibility that we have? Now, here's the truth. When I was, when I was a young man, I thought, you know, at some point, 
when I get on up in years, I'm going to start losing friends, and friends are going to start losing their lives. But it started much younger than I ever believed it would. Unfortunately, I've had the responsibility to share the Word of God at young people's funerals. And by young people, you can define that however you want. I'm talking about some of the youth in my old youth group. Talking about personal friends that are around my age, all the way up to some senior citizens. The reality is this, that is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's the reality of the situation. The reality is that, that, that all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But thank God that he proved his love. He demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we would not have to go to hell. And he made it real simple. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, I just shared the gospel with you in like 16 seconds. Right? But we're not willing to give up 16 seconds of our life with our friend, with our with our with our you know, cousin, with our aunt, with our uncle, with our mom, with our dad. And you say, but it's so hard because we're close. Listen, it is hard. Sharing, ooh. Sharing the gospel is hard. But you know what's more difficult? Sitting at the funeral of your loved one, knowing you didn't. Knowing you can't anymore. You say, boy, Dustin, nothing like lifting us up this morning. Nothing like encouraging our hearts. Listen, I am encouraging your hearts because we're all in this together. I'm that way too. I struggle sometimes too. I make excuses too. Stop it. Stop it. I make excuses too. I'm not preaching to you. Listen, God raked me over the coals about this very thing myself. I stand here. I have this privilege, this honor, but am I doing it in my everyday life? And if I'm not, then I need to sit down and shut up and quit telling you what to do if I'm not willing to do it. The reality is some of my friends, some of my family, some of my loved ones are going to die and go to hell. That's the reality. I don't like it. I don't want But are they going to go because I didn't share the gospel? Or are they going to go in spite of the fact that I fought every tooth and nail every way I could along the way to make sure they knew the choice they had. It doesn't just stop with the lost. We must call the saved. We must call the Christian who is struggling, who is battling, who, who Satan is lying to. Let's go on to Ezekiel 3, 22 through 27. It says... Um, Sorry, we're in 20 through 21. I skipped some stuff. Let's not do that. Uh, so Ezekiel 3, 20 through 21 says, Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took the warning, and you will have delivered your soul. So, 
What about, what about the Christian that's struggling, that's, that's backslidden? You know, there's a word we don't hear every, every week anymore, okay? What about the Christian who is wallowing in sin, who's the prodigal child of God? It says that we're to proclaim truth. Now, we can get into some deep theology here, and I don't mind doing it. We'll be here for a while, but we'll, so we'll kind of go a little shallow. I'll clean it up later if you want me to. I, I don't think this means we lose our salvation. I believe firmly that Jesus Christ has saved me to the uttermost, but I do think that Christians can sin to the point that God says, you know what? I'm tired of you dragging my name through the mud. I'm tired of you uh, uh, misusing and abusing my grace and my mercy. You're doing more damage than good. It's time for you to come on home. I think that's truth. I think that's biblical. And so I think that we have to reach out to the brother, the sister in Christ, who's struggling, who Satan's lying to, who they're, who they're battling their sin. We got to say, hey, man, there's a better way. Hey, ma'am, there's something more we can do. You know you haven't lived up to what you said when you made a vow to God. Listen, if you've ever truly been saved, you've made a vow to God. You understand that? We don't think about salvation that way, but it is. We make a vow to God when we get saved. We say, look, Jesus, if you will forgive my sins, if you will save me, then I will die to self and live to you. That's our vow to God. We think about salvation as God's vow to us. Okay, you don't have to go to hell. We get that little stamp, we go on about our lives, and we die, and we go to heaven. That's not it. It's a two-way vow. Jesus says, yes, I will save you. And we say, yes, I will serve you. And we see others who aren't doing that. We, in love, have to go pull them back in. Hey, man, you know, you're not... This is maybe more uncomfortable than telling somebody to get saved, if we're being truthful. Brother, you know I love you, and I know you know Jesus. Man, but we need to talk about this. Man. Everything I'm trying to do, I'm trying to win these people to Christ, but you're influencing those same people and telling them that everything I'm telling them is wrong because you're a Christian and you're not doing it either. We're talking about uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable, but here's what the Word of God says. It says, if you do that, and they turn from their wickedness, then they will, will not die. And, okay, and you've delivered your own soul because you did what you were supposed to. But if you don't proclaim that truth, then they will die, and their blood will be required at your hands. ton of responsibility. <clears throat> now, we're going to close it up with this. Okay, yes, it's a lot of responsibility, but Jesus doesn't leave us on the hook when we do our best to do it right. Let's go on to 22 through 27, and, and some of this is going to sound like mumbo-jumbo. I will try to clear it up, and then we'll go, we'll go home, okay? But here we go. In verse 22, it says, and the hand of the Lord was on me there. And he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose, and I went out into the valley. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Chabar Canal. And I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me, and he set me... Wow, that's what happened a while ago, too. Okay. Sorry, the way my notes broke down, I'm repeating some stuff. Y'all, did y'all catch that earlier? I was like, I think I already read that. Okay, sorry. Woo, I said I wasn't going to chase rabbits. So we're in verse 24 here. It says, but the Spirit entered into me and set me um, on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, go, 
shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cleave to the roof of your cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So here he says, look, I'm telling you that you're going to tell the people. I'm telling you that you're going to be my spokesman. You are going to be my watchman. You are going to proclaim truth. And folks, if you know Jesus Christ, I'm telling you that God is going to use you to speak his truth. It's biblical. It's there over and over and over. There's no way around. Well, that's just not my spiritual gift. Well, yeah, so? That, what does that mean? It's not your spiritual gift. It's not natural to me. Well, you know what? Living for Jesus ain't natural to anybody. So get over it. Get over it. If it's uncomfortable, who cares? Do it anyway. Okay? Um, but he says... Here, listen, I'm going to send you to tell them, but it doesn't just mean it's a shotgun sermon everywhere you go. That's why I'm, I'm, I've never, not saying it's always wrong, I've never been called to just stand on the street corner and tell everybody that passes by, hey, turn or burn, get saved. If you don't, you're going to hell. I've never been called to do that. I'm not saying no one has. I'm not, I don't know. But it's not necessarily a shotgun sermon. He's saying here, look, you're going to be the watchman. But then he says, Go out here, and I'm going to tell you what to do. And it says when he got there, he got bound with cords, and his tongue uh, clung to the roof of his mouth, and he couldn't say anything. I think there's something for us to learn there, church, that we should, we should pray and we should seek the opportunity. Now, don't use that as an excuse. Well, I just didn't feel called to tell my friends. Okay? No, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that sometimes, especially when it's a delicate relationship, you, you can't always just... Hit them in the head with a two-by-four that is the gospel, okay? You can't always do that. Sometimes you have to pray and you have to say, God, please give me the opportunity. Give me the opportunity to share the gospel with my friend, with my mom, with my dad, with my aunt, with my uncle, with my spouse, with my children. Give me that opportunity. And, and, and sometimes you turmoil and you fight and you deal with it and you pray about it and you continue to see God and you continue to pray about it and you continue to see God. But listen to what happens. This is beautiful. All those things happen to him, but then God says in verse 27, but when I speak with you, when I tug on your heart, when I say, hey, it's time, let them go. Let it go. Let them have it. Let them have it. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. And when you do that, it says, he who listens will listen. And he who refuses, refuses. You see, it's our job to cast it out there. It's our job to put it out there. The Word of God is clear. No one comes to the Father unless He's drawn by the Son. No matter how much I say it, if God isn't working on our heart, it's not going to—not much that can happen. Now, does that mean we shouldn't say it? No, but it means that we can have 
assurance that if we are obedient to share the gospel, then we have to walk away and say, whatever happens, happens. Man, my prayer for this sermon this morning, I'm praying that somebody gets saved. Amen? Somebody, I'm proclaiming truth today. There's a plague coming. There's a plague of hail coming. And it's up to you whether you will come in out of the storm or not. It's up to you, man. I'm telling you, as the servant of God, that there's a plague of hell coming for every man, woman, boy, and girl who does not surrender their life to Jesus Christ. There's a plague coming. I'm praying that people are saved this morning. But you know what else I'm praying? I'm praying that people be saved tomorrow and Tuesday. And at pancake day, when you're sitting around eating them delicious pancakes, telling people about Jesus. Right? I'm praying that we will wake up, church, and that we will become the watchmen we've been called to be, and we will proclaim truth, and we will let God draw men and women, boys and girls, to himself, and whatever happens, happens. Because only God can control that. So I'm praying for this morning but I'm trusting God that the results are going to go beyond because we are going to begin to be the watchmen that we're called to be. So this morning, will you come in out of the storm yourself? If you're lost or you're one of those struggling Christians I talked about, listen, I already said, if you know Jesus, I believe that you are secure in your faith. But I also believe that there are still consequences on this earth for our actions and for our sins. Now, there is no, uh, I believe that, that even though I have sinned since salvation, I believe that I'm still God's child and going to heaven. But I believe I also have to pay consequences, sometimes from God himself, punishing me for the wrong decisions that I make here on this earth. But my eternity is secure. So maybe you're lost and you need to be saved. We're going to have that opportunity. Maybe you're a Christian and you're struggling. You know there's some things in your life that you just need to get rid of. It's junk that's holding you back. We're going to have an opportunity for that. Maybe you know God's laid some folks on your heart, but you have not been faithful to proclaim the truth. Maybe you once were, but you've gotten tired, and you're not telling them the truth lately. And you're saying, God, give me. I'm going to pray for the opportunity, God, that you will speak to me so that I can tell them, thus says the Lord. Maybe it's something else. Maybe God's called you to be baptized, and you've been fighting it. That's a great way, it's a great way to show the world what you believe, also to get your friends and family to come to church, to watch you be baptized, and they're going to hear the gospel while they're here. Whatever God's laid, that's between you and God. Whatever God's laid on your heart, we're going to have an opportunity to deal with it. If you want to talk to me, I'll be up here. If you want to hit the altar, I think that's why it's here. Okay, These aren't just steps. And I think God meets us here when we truly seek him there. Maybe you want to make an altar where you're at. Maybe you need to grab someone's room and say, you know what? My struggle with the Lord has been because I haven't been right with you. I've had some illness in my heart towards you. And I'm ready today to just, man, say, none of that matters. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's just forget it. Let's just move on. And whatever it is God's calling you to do, God's calling several of you to do something. I feel confident about that. I'll be here if you need to talk to me. Maybe you need to talk to him. Maybe you need to talk to someone here. You do what God's laid on your heart. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to leave it up to you and God for what's going to happen during this invitation. All right? Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for folks here. Lord, I just, God, I pray that 
Uh, God, your word will just do what it does. God, I pray that, that, God, your word will draw people to yourself. God, I pray that your spirit will move. God, we are not afraid of the Holy Spirit here at Danville First Baptist. Lord, I pray that your spirit will have freedom to move and to move our hearts and that we will be real and we will be honest with you and with others. And God, I pray that we will become the watchmen that you've called us to be. I thank you for saving me and for being merciful to me even since I've been saved. And God, I pray that I'll walk with you and I'll proclaim your truth every day. In Jesus' name, amen.